Hello and welcome to another episode of CISO Tradecraft, the podcast that provides you with the information, knowledge, and wisdom to be a more effective cybersecurity leader. My name is G. Mark Hardy, and today we're going to answer one of the most common questions that we get asked on CISO Tradecraft. It's, what do I need to learn to be a good CISO? After a lot of reflection, since CISO Tradecraft, we put together a top 10 list of CISO knowledge domains that we think are the core skills which produce really good CISOs. Now, this episode, we'll go over just the first five areas with the remaining five on our next episode. So before we begin, we just want to highlight something. CISO Tradecraft has put together an awesome GitHub page that organizes these 10 CISO knowledge domains, along with previous episodes of our show. And you can find this website by clicking the link in the episode notes for the podcast, or just by going to the URL github.com slant CISO Tradecraft, and then click on podcast. As always, please follow us on LinkedIn and make sure you subscribe so you can always get the latest updates. Well, without further ado, let's go straight to the first five knowledge domains. Number one, product security, their first item on our list. It's a broad topic domain which focuses on ensuring that developers write secure code. Now, this is so important for any organization that writes a large amount of custom code, and anyone who is focused on product security knows that the list of things to keep an application secure is constantly changing. To gain experience in product security, cyber executives should first understand how important technologies like cloud, containers, Kubernetes, serverless, and operating systems work. And if you don't know how they work, then you're going to struggle to understand how to truly protect them. And in addition, if you don't understand technology, then you're more apt to fail at effectively prioritizing security spending. Now, while most cyber executives won't be programmers who write code, there are things you should get involved with to build experience in product security. Examples include performing threat modeling on Crown Jewel applications, building application security testing programs, which map to secure software development standards, and getting involved with the red team or pen testing teams to gain an understanding of the biggest security risks. These experiences teach you that simple things like patching are not as easy as they seem. There is a lot of commercial tools that can't be upgraded, open source that isn't supported, and systems with firmware that remains, well, firm. (laughs) And despite all of it, there are some things you can recommend to secure devices. So learn how to solve this problem, and you can be a force of change for the good. Remember, a big part of product security is application security testing. Application security testing requires purchasing SAST, DAST, and other security scanning tools. Can you clearly articulate why your organization needs to purchase each of these different tools? If you don't understand the unique kind of risks they can find, you might not get the security budget you're hoping for. If you're looking to learn more on product security, then check out the CISO Tradecraft GitHub page to find links to previous episodes on topics such as DevOps, modern software development practices, or setting up an application security program. Defensive technologies is a second domain of knowledge. It focuses on creating multiple layers of defenses in an organization to protect against a multitude of attacks. Cyber organizations are responsible for things like email protection solutions, firewalls, antivirus, data loss prevention technology, end-user behavioral analytics, proxies, virtual private networks, denial-of-service protection solutions. 
and secure implementation of operating systems. So you need to have a good understanding of these technologies. These will also likely be the largest technology spends that your organization makes. So being able to choose the ideal antivirus and EDR solution for your organization may be one of the most important choices you make as a cyber executive. And you should revisit repurchasing every three years to ensure the product you bought years ago is still a best of breed. Remember to always evaluate cost versus effectiveness. Let's say the difference between two EDR vendors is $1 million. However, the effectiveness between the tools may, may seem insignificant. Well, you might purchase a cheaper tool so you have a $1 million to spend on another defensive technology. But just make sure that you aren't spending $4 million in cost to get all the developers to modify their servers and only save a million in licensing costs. I mean, even with a cost savings of a million dollars, if that product takes over four years to provide a return on investment, then the change isn't likely to be worth it. Another key thing to remember is defensive technologies are one of the most common things that auditors and regulators assess in an organization, since it's required for things like PCI compliance and other requirements, uh, other standards. So you need to know what your organization has, if it's properly configured and if the output is being used properly. And if you do this correctly, compliance becomes a whole lot easier. Now, if you're looking to learn more on defensive technologies, then check out the CISO Tradecraft GitHub page to find links to previous episodes on topics such as the Essential 8, NSA's top 10 defensive technologies, and one of the titles that's my favorite, I have more agents than the FBI. Detection and response capabilities is the third knowledge domain that we believe is a key factor for CISOs. It's about creating mechanisms to identify how attackers might circumvent your organization's defensive technologies. Since 100% protection is not achievable, it's about effective response to cyber incidents such as insider fraud, ransomware, or business email compromise. If you're in a larger organization, you may have responsibility for a security operations center that must detect and respond to attacks 24 by 7. So you need to understand the core functions of a SOC, what tools a SOC uses, and how the SOC performs incident response. Ask yourself questions like, does your organization use a security information and event management, SIM system, or extended detection and response, XDR? What threat intelligence feeds do we monitor? Who provides updates to the business on how bad actors are trying to circumvent our controls? Who's monitoring logs in real time within our organization? Does the organization have a responsible disclosure or a bug bounty program? And is there appropriate staffing to perform computer forensics if fraud is detected? Remember, a big piece of response is working with legal and law enforcement officers when a data breach is detected. Have you built playbooks that show how the organization should respond if there is an attack? Do you have after-hours phone numbers for your telecom company if a denial-of-service attack occurs? This type of experience also becomes a competitive advantage when your organization is constantly under attack from thieves and nation-state actors. Remember, SOCs can also be something you outsource if it's too hard to find and retain the right talent, or if you have less than about 2,500 seats, which is a rough threshold for SOC cost-effectiveness. If you're looking to learn more on detection and response capabilities, then check out the CISO Tradecraft GitHub page to find links to previous episodes on topics such as 10 Steps to Cyber Incident Response Playbooks, Everything You Want to Know About Ransomware, and Slay the Dragon or Save the Princess.
Number four, laws, regulations, and oversight. It's about ensuring compliance with appropriate laws and regulations. This is particularly useful in highly regulated industries, such as the financial services or medical industries. One example of work that needs to be performed is to address regulations such as completing a 10K, an annual report required by the U.S. Security and Exchange Commission for publicly traded companies. It has a lot more detail in an annual report. If you've never seen a 10K report, here's a little bit of insight. Public companies are required by the Security and Exchange Commission to list in item 1A risk factors all the significant risks to the business, as well as risks to which impact the business's ability to provide accurate financial statements. CISOs will have to partner with the chief financial officer and create a cyber risk section that may include paragraphs like these, which I found at a Harvard Law article. If our electronic data is compromised, our business could be significantly harmed. Defects or disruptions in our services could diminish demand for our services and subject us to substantial liability. An information security incident, including a cybersecurity breach, could have a negative impact to the company's business or reputation. We may face particular data protection, data security, and privacy risks in connection with the European Union's global data protection regulation and other privacy regulations. All right, so those are some samples, and those are paragraph headings. Because once you've created draft statement and filled these in, your legal team and then the CFO will adjust it to meet specific reporting requirements and then ask you to sign off that that statement still remains true. So you as a CISO need to understand the details of what you're asserting and to be able to back it up with evidence if needed. Let's say your CFO defines material impact as anything that's greater than $5 million. Well, Every time there's a cyber incident, you need to assess the level of damage. And if it meets the threshold, your organization would have to report in a timely fashion to the SEC. Another common compliance activity is meeting the payment card industry data security standards. Here, the cyber organization has to demonstrate evidence that the 12 requirements of PCI DSS are being met routinely. The full details of PCI compliance are going to be the topic of a future show, but Let's just say for now it's the most prescriptive of policies since it calls out specific requirements like firewalls, antivirus, encryption, and testing. Now, as we reflect on the importance of understanding laws, regulations, and oversight, here's one tip that we might want to leave with you as a listener. Organizations that are coming out of a data breach scenario are also likely to find increased scrutiny by regulators and auditors. So if you can demonstrate an understanding of legal and reporting requirements, it might enhance your prospects if you're applying for a job at a recently breached company, which Mimi has just fired its last CISO. If you're looking to learn more on law, regulation, oversight, then check out the CISO Tradecraft GitHub page to find links to previous episodes on topics such as Cyber Law Musings with Mark Rash, Cyber Security Laws and Regulations, and the Nation's Executive Order on Improving the Nation's Cybersecurity. Number five is enabling technologies. It's about enabling businesses to create digital transformation. This is helpful when organizations feel their technology is dated and want to adopt newer technologies such as the cloud, mobile apps, Internet of Things, etc. To be a CISO that enables technologies is to be a CISO that focuses on technology transformation to enable the business. One example of things you can do right as a CISO is building a strong partnership with marketing. Now, marketing typically controls what the public websites look like and how the business messages the customer. 
They take feedback from sales to identify the best way to reach customers. This means they will often be the first part of the organization pushing the IT organization to evolve. You might hear that customers are more likely to be reached on social media platforms and traditional email. WhatsApp is more commonly used than text messages in overseas locations. Or the mobile app experience accounts for 70 to 90% of our web traffic. So understanding how to implement security into core product offerings is key. Imagining if marketing, IT, and cyber can go to the chief financial officer and say, we want to build a new mobile app that does the following. And we believe it will cost X amount of money, but we believe it will generate new leads that can result in 7X worth of sales. Now here you can see how enabling the business can help gain funding, help increase partnerships across the organization, and help the CISO organization become the department of, hey, let's do this together, and not the department of, no. Another key example of how you can enable the business in IT organizations is lowering the maintenance cost of applications. Every large organization has IT apps that were written a long time ago in software that is difficult to patch and keep up to date. If you go to the IT department and say, it looks like the XYZ app has 100 high vulnerabilities that we need you to patch. And the IT organization may or may not even have the resources to do the job, at least not in a timely fashion. And even so, there might not be an incentive structure to reward the developers for doing so versus adding the requested features to the product. Now, compare that to saying, I've talked with the legacy app team and found that the legacy app developers spend roughly 70% of their time just keeping the application up and patched. We believe if we were to redevelop this application using low-code or no-code techniques found in Microsoft Power Apps, that our maintenance effort would drop to 20% going forward. This would allow us to spend that 50% time savings to deliver new features, since we could avoid burdensome, burdensome tasks like patching Java and operating system vulnerabilities on the current system. Not only is this cheaper going forward, but it lowers security risk to the organization. Now we're seeking funding, which will be offset by the lowered maintenance costs in just 18 months. So that's a win-win for both groups. It makes financial sense, which you can justify. So partnering with the business to use new technologies that lower costs and enhance security enables the business and enables the cybersecurity budget. If you're looking to learn more, on enabling technologies and check out the CISO Tradecraft GitHub page to find links to previous episodes on topics such as how to compare software, securing the cloud, or AI and ML and how to tell when vendors are full of it. Well, as we said at the beginning of the show, today's episode looked at the first five knowledge domains of being a good CISO. And there's a lot more content on the GitHub page as well as in our LinkedIn group. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast or the LinkedIn group, what are you waiting for? Come on, we'd love to engage with you and provide you with more quality content. This is G. Mark Hardy, and thank you again for being a listener on our show, and we wish you only the best on your journey to becoming a cyber executive who excels at CISO Tradecraft. Stay safe out there.